Welcome to Super Respectable, everyone. My name is Toshi Rahman, and with me is David Lewis. Hey. Hey, and we have, we have a special guest off screen, off camera. You might hear a little hellos, highs, coos. That's my little baby boy, Noah. He's, he's Hello, Noah, our co-co-host. Co-co-host. One day you can be a full host. He doesn't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How's it going, Dave? It's good. Uh, looking forward to holiday. About to go to Italy tomorrow. So yeah. uh, first time on a plane in quite some time, pretty much a year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm fully vaccinated and yeah. ready to travel. Very good. Actually, it's, uh, I, I was going through our episodes, uh, our previous episodes, and I saw the Italy episode, the Venice one, and it's, it's pretty much give a, give a month uh, a year. It's been a year. So like, good for you. And like, and you love Italy so much, you're going back. Going back. So yeah, maybe uh, I guess next week I'll have to do um, another live episode or semi-live episode from Venice. Sure. Um, I won't won't rehash the Plague Island thing. I'll have to do find some other interesting thing about Venice to talk about. (laughs) I think uh, um, all the episodes you've chosen seem to do very well. The last one, the, the Carlos Ogon one, very people very much like that one. I think they love criminals and escape stories. So or they love Japan. I'll think. I'll think of some Venetian criminals to talk about. <laughs> yeah, very cool. And uh, and you guys are ready for your trip? Like packed, uh, documented? No. Okay. Good. No, no. Well, uh, Last I yeah. So basically, two out of the three-ish weeks that we're going to be on holiday yeah. is going to be on a beach. So uh, there'll be not too much packing required for that aspect. Yeah. So. Uh, I know it's a long time to be gone, but I'm going to try and just keep it, uh, keep it light and it's going to be quite hot. So, um, it's going to be like 25, 30 degrees every day. So that'll also minimize the amount of uh, clothing required. Is this, is this, uh, are you going to try to really just R and R rest and relax during this or you got stuff to do during this trip? I got a stack of books. I'm going to try and like, uh, delete all my apps on my phone, not touch my phone. Yeah. Throw it and then throw it into the canals yeah um uh have you have you uh i know you and i we discussed reading a book and to discuss later on have you started that book or will that be one of the ones on the reading list uh yes yeah, so that book yeah. uh it's it's quite long and and dense and, and a challenging book i think yeah. so i think i want to read it closer to the time when we're planning to do that particular episode so i i, t- I don't know about you but when i read a book yeah it's, it's, it's kind of a bad reflection on me but I tend to think it's either good or bad and I, I I'm like okay. when I think about a book download like six months ago yeah. I'm like I can tell you that I like the book but if I can't really even remember like some of the main characters names or what happened or some of the main storylines I just remember yeah that was a good book yeah so I want to be a bit more fresh uh and uh, let's hear it like you too I mean I don't quote books or like from, from like 10 years ago I just remember did I like it or did I not like it but uh <laughs> you're right that book that we did mention is extremely long it's made for teenagers for some reason I'm I'm about 100 pages into it and uh because I just uh, with the baby and everything I just do a little each day but uh uh, some of it's kind of dull. Do you, like, are, are you listening to the book? Because it, it must be hard to read a book now with with a uh, baby Noah. No, I, uh, I I hate the listening. I have the apps. Oh, sh- 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 sh. I, I have the apps. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he doesn't like the book. Uh, uh, but uh, I I I'm reading it like uh, old school style. Oh. Sorry, pacifier time. Pacifier time. Okay, good boy. Good boy. Oh yeah. I think pacifiers might be the like. I don't really get the appeal, but. Kids seem to love it. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. So, okay. We'll do that episode when it, when it's time, as we get closer to it. Sounds good. Shall we, shall we commence? It's my week. I, I think you're going to like what I have to say. <laughs> Let's do it. I hope so. I sure hope so. So I, um, uh, uh, my wife and I were watching a show and, uh, um, uh, a part of the show was set underground. And I started thinking about like all the cool things I've seen in my life about like underground taverns, underground military bases, underground homes. And so I thought uh, I would kind of look into some of the three most interesting underground concepts there are. Can we hear? Can we hear our Coco host? No. A little bit. He's a little. Uh, oh, he's gone to sleep. Okay. So um, I found three really interesting places around the world that have some type of underground element to it. And uh, I'll do it in the order of least interesting to me to the most interesting to me. And uh, and I don't know. So I don't the Carlton know. Carlton Tunnels? Uh, well, that, well, I, that came up too. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Uh, uh, that unfortunately didn't make the list, but it is it is a, a close fourth. For those who don't know, both Dave and I went to this university called Carleton University in Ottawa. Ottawa is a very cold city in the winter, and as such, it's very difficult to walk outside for long periods of time. So the university built an entire underground tunneling system. So pretty much the minute you got onto campus, if you entered the underground system, you go to pretty much any building in the campus and not go outside. How did you, did you enjoy that? Did you, uh, was that interesting? I really thought it was fascinating at first. <laughs> I thought it was great. Um, a very unique aspect to university life in Ottawa. And uh, I had never stayed, unlike you, I, I, I'm from Ottawa. I was with my parents and stayed uh, rented student accommodation with you in the final years. Yep. Um, but I was never on residence, but you could also go straight from your, basically your residence halls uh, into class. And so a lot of people, students would show up holding their teddy bears and wearing their pajamas. And the yeah. teachers would have to plead with the students, please put on some proper clothing to attend the class. And yeah. they would never, you know. It yeah. really was convenient and maybe too convenient at points. Uh, uh, Did you ever show up to class like that? Um, not with my teddy bear, that stays in the dorm. Uh, but uh, in my pajamas, <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, I mean, it was so weird because I like for my whole life up until university, I used to be getting up at 7, 7.30, going to school. And then once 8.30 classes came in college, I was like, oh, no way, it's too early. And then I got lazy. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I got a really familiar with the tunnels because not only did I live on campus, but then I also worked at the university as well for for the election. So I got to know that and I used to spend a lot of time like my buildings were kind of far apart in the first year so the tunneling system was really cool uh but uh, uh it's weird too because we used to walk through them in the middle of the night or or two or three in the morning and uh it was a weird little world and there were little doors and little uh, little and they had golf carts going through carts yeah so uh so it's a cool world and so like that intrigue of it kind of got me thinking as well about some of the other places. So my first interesting uh, place is, um, um, did you know that a number of militaries around the world have underground bases or mountain bases for protection? Uh, one of the most interesting one is called the Cheyenne Mountain Complex. It's in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's, uh, you, don't heard, you would not have heard of it um, in the title I gave you, but you will hear of it in the, in the use. It was originally the former home headquarters of NORAD, uh, uh, which is the North American uh, like space, uh, North American airspace defense between Canada and America. It's like an alliance. So right. uh, yeah, it, it like NORAD looks at missiles, space systems, air travel, foreign aircrafts uh, worldwide. 
That's kind scary. of a Cold War relic. It's still around scanning the horizons for yeah. well, Russian that, missiles. So, so very, thank you so much for putting that. So if people don't know their history, <laughs> okay. uh, uh, in the 50s, there was this huge kind of threat that the Soviets would kind of uh, attack the Americans and vice versa. And if that were to happen, Canada- Or oh, Carleton University, that's why we had tunnels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our country would unfortunately be in the middle of it because literally it's in the middle of those two countries if you look at it. <laughs> so um, what the Americans did was they formed NORAD with the Canadians and they took this mountain in uh, outside of Colorado Springs, Colorado, and they started building like underground like bunkers and tunnels so it could withstand a nuclear blast. And so uh, uh, there, there's this military complex in the mountain. It's 2,000 uh, feet underground. Uh, um, and there's, it's about five acres long, which is really big, and 2,000 feet below ground. And there's granite all on top of it to protect it. There's about 15 three-story buildings on under in this complex. And it's so cool. These buildings have been built in a way so that they're earthquake-proof or nuclear bomb-proof. And uh, um, um, they, don't, they won't shift more than an inch in either direction. And uh, uh, the whole system is pretty much like a little labyrinth uh, down there. There's, uh, there's, um, uh, there's people who live there. There's suites. There's like little hotels for like their officers. There's a medical facility, store, cafeteria, fitness center. And uh, the bunker door, I mean, there's over 25 doors, but the bunker door is, uh, is so big that uh, it can withstand a 30 megaton nuke explosion within what? two kilometers of it. And so uh, all the other doors can withstand like blast waves. And so uh, pretty much what it was, this thing was built in case uh, the Cold War really came to a nuclear end, you know, it could hold withstand its military, it could be a headquarters for the rest of uh, the military to, uh, to fight against the, uh, the, the Russians. Uh, but what happened was, uh, as the Cold War kind of started dissipating, they were like, maybe we don't need... <laughs> this intense of a place for, for this. So now they, they, they have a number of military bases, uh, military uh, battalions working out of there, but it's no longer the headquarters of NORAD. NORAD has actually moved into Colorado next door into like a normal building, but, uh, but it's kind of cool. And I was researching this. And I think if you watch a lot of those like Cold War movies or those movies were like Russia or that now it's the Koreans, I guess, or whoever <laughs> is fighting the Americans, they always have these like, take the president to like the underground base, take them to the bunker but it exists, which is kind of cool. So like they spent almost six years in the sixties building this underground uh, structure. They spent $140 million and uh, uh, it was used for something that never ended up happening. But, but would they make it in time? Like, so imagine they start pressing the red button over in Moscow yeah. uh, in 1975 or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long it takes for one of their uh, nuclear missiles to reach the U.S. territory, but wouldn't it be too late for them to like take the whole like high command off to this bunker location? It's a waste of resource. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, Washington too. I mean, if we're thinking talking about like uh, like the line of succession or whatever it is, like I don't think he could get. The, I think the president has its own uh, like uh, protocol. I think he goes somewhere. There's a number of bases around the state. Because because when they uh, last did that type of thing was 9/11, right? Yeah. Um, so basically, like they let George Bush uh, go out uh, while Cheney was protected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could, yeah. Have you seen Vice, right? The movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Vice. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was a really good movie. But I, I what I don't remember is where they put him. 
uh, because Cheney was protected somewhere underground. It must be like somewhere in D.C. or Virginia. Probably. I mean, there's uh, Camp David, which is close to D.C. There's a bunch of like the American military is so well established and funded. They have bases around the world. And I mean, like, I bet you we don't even see half the stuff that they're doing. So, I mean, there's mm. an entire show on the, 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 the line of succession called Designated Survivor. Uh, and, and so the American system, I, I don't know it in detail. I think we kind of touched upon it in our Trump episode. But uh, um, like there's the president, the vice president, the speaker of the house, blah, 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 blah. So like in in this situation, uh, uh, if, if someone something happens, it kind of passes through the line. But there must be protocol as well for like in case something's going to happen, taking the president. I know there's a bunker under the White House. I know there's probably ones that like off to the side as well. And so, yeah, I don't know. But I think the Americans are really like our militaries. I think they need to continue in scenarios of emergency. So they always want to have an HQ somewhere and so like whether it's a general who takes over or, or or another secretary or whatnot they need to have a place that's like fully equipped from my research i found that a lot of these bases were actually built a long time ago so they've been upgrading a lot recently and an interesting thing i found was that when they upgrade so it's it's split some countries use third party <laughs> you're closing the window at your beach huh? <laughs> i mean yeah, it's a very sunny day here at the beach um, so some countries, when they upgrade these military complexes, they use their own in-house like uh, military construction. I understand that for privacy and security reasons, but some use like third-party companies, like uh, uh, they like give contracts out. And so some some third-party country or, like uh, companies are like it's interesting. They I guess they'd have to sign like NDAs and like you know and, and like go into extreme secrecy and stuff. But it's weird to think like like a third-party company would come in and like upgrade a military complex. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> They know everything that's happening, but uh, it takes, it's a lot of money and like these militaries have it. So uh, it was interesting to me. Are you reporting live from a, a bunker yeah, yeah, location? Yeah. Sorry, this is my secret bunker. I, I forgot to say, so I'm fully equipped beds, food, kitchen, in case of my, uh, in case of the nuke or in case of the zombie apocalypse, it's here. But uh, yeah, I, I actually, I didn't include it in the list. But uh, an interesting thing I found in my research, and also I knew this before, is that the new trend for billionaires is like uh, is like having their own bunkers and like luxury bunkers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I saw some of them and like some of the companies that offer them. And it's so funny, like they offer them like oil paintings, massage rooms, like uh, like cars, <laughs> like all the things that are kind of like useless in a military, in a, in a apocalyptic, apocalyptic situation. But uh, it's that came really big during the pandemic, eh? Like, uh you basically saw what happens if society starts to break down. Yeah. All the rich people would fly off to New Zealand or like Montana yeah. to their like bunker life yeah. and try and live off canned tuna uh, until it's safe to come out again. Yeah, I, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. But um, yeah, that was my first one. Okay, the second interesting uh, underground uh, <laughs> scenario. And I think, I don't know if you've been there. Have you been to the catacombs in Paris? I have not. Have you? I have not. Um, that was actually the impetus for this episode. I was watching a show and they had it. Uh, if those of you who don't know, the catacombs is this interesting uh, underground ossuary, which is, uh, I had to Google this word, ossuary. Ossuary is pretty much a place where you keep bones, like human, human remains. Uh, uh, underground ossuary in Paris. Um, um, it's like an entire tunneling system under the city and it holds the remains of over 6 million people. Uh, uh, and uh, it's actually really interesting. I would love to go the next time I go to Paris. I've only been to Paris once but you can take tours of this whole underground system. And uh, what it was, was uh, before it was made to be an ossuary, it was actually just a tunneling system uh, to kind of consolidate the stone quarries of the city. 
So uh, Paris was built, a lot of the, the buildings are old. They were built from a certain material that were, that were mined from under the ground. And uh, interestingly, I don't know why they did this, but once they finished mining a certain area and there was nothing left, they would just leave that, <laughs> that part of the tunnel there and they'd move on. So they have all these little places. And so what actually ended up happening was uh, uh, cemeteries would be overflowing in Paris uh, about 300 years ago and uh, buildings were collapsing because of the holes. And so really they like pretty much it got to a situation with graveyards with too many bodies and they didn't know what to do. So some guy was like, oh, you know what? Why don't we just ship them from the cemeteries to the, to the holes under the ground? You know, we can keep them there. And so people were like, that's a smart idea. And so I read that there were times where like, there were just like hearsts coming, people just like all day, 24 hours of these bodies coming underground, which is kind of creepy. But from a logistical point of view, I guess it was very intelligent that they found places for these bones. So uh, what, the, what the French did, what the Parisians, is that right, Parisians? Oui, oui. oui, oui. What the Parisians did at the time was they started putting these bones to underground, people's remains, not in a, in a disgusting, mutilating way, but in a respectful, <laughs> let's place them way. A super and, respectable way. In a super respectable way. And so uh, uh, if you go there now, there's actually parts of the, the tunnels, the catacombs where there are bones there. If you go online, there's an entire section, you can see skulls and bones and they've been respectfully placed as, as a resting place. So they started doing this like a couple hundred years ago and they, then they decided in the 1800s, uh, sorry, the 1900s, that they would open this place up for visitation. So people would come and like check it out and it, would be, it became a tourist site. Uh, um, and it's, it's so much, it's so popular that in 2013, it actually became uh, controlled by the Paris Museum Association. So it's one of the official, it's listed as one of the official museums of Paris, the catacombs. Really? Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, uh, and so when you go there, um, you can see the bodies, you can see parts of the catacombs, there are parts that are locked off, but, uh, but it pretty much tunnels a huge part of the city. So if you've been to Paris multiple times, you lived in London, uh, I'm assuming, when you walk on the streets of Paris, it's one of those cities where you know that there's something underneath too, just like London, just like New York. And so there's an entire underground world, which is pretty cool. Uh, um, in World War II, I know you're a history buff, the French uh, used part of the catacombs as an HQ uh, for some of their forces, as did the Nazis when they took over France. Yeah. Uh, so there is a kind of a sick history behind there. Uh, in 2004, police discovered that uh, there was a fully equipped movie theater in a part of the ca uh, catacombs. It had a, its own cinema screen, seats for an audience, projection equipment, film reels, and uh, a bar uh, and a complete restaurant. And what happened was, I guess a group had kind of snuck in there and pretty much built their own little cinema. <laughs> and so... How could they do that without anybody noticing until like... But I, I think the thing, idea was this place was so big that mm. like that not all of it could be monitored and parts of it are kind of like uh, um, kind of uh, cordoned off. So, I mean, if you get in there and you're not monitoring this place, I guess they, they oh. in fact- It's so creepy looking. I mean, so I'm just looking at pictures. It's just skulls and bones everywhere. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I got that impression too. I know, uh, I, I didn't include this. I know there are catacombs under Rome as well. Uh, there's an entire tunneling system. Have you been to Have you been to any of the European catacombs? Uh, no, I can't say I have. I haven't. Would you go? Are you interested in uh, in participating on a tour? Yeah, why not? Uh, sure. I'll, we can we can do a recording alive <laughs> from under the catacombs things. Uh, um, another funny, uh, interesting thing is in 2015, Airbnb paid 350,000 pounds. 
uh, sorry, euros as part of a publicity stunt offering customers to stay overnight in the catacombs. So like, it's one of those, you know, stay there. Overnight. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. Would, did you ever do the thing where you were like stay in the aquarium overnight with the animals, like from school or friend's birthday party? Uh, no, in Ottawa, they had the stay at the uh, Museum of Nature where you could sleep with the dinosaurs. Oh. Um, which I thought was cool, but I think I had too many um, nightmares and, and crazy uh, vivid dreams that I was like, no, I, this is too much for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never done any of those things, but uh, um, it would be cool if you were a kid, right? Like if you had like just the theory of it to spend a night with dinosaurs and stuff in a museum. But I think like when these sort of sleepovers, like the kids don't sleep much. The kids yeah, like, yeah, have yeah. like an hour of sleep because they're so excited. Oh, having candy and running around I mean, um, wouldn't, if you're i mean even at 36 i think it'd be fun wouldn't it be fun to play a game of hide and seek in the museum of natural history natural history in the middle of the night or like or like tag or something fun like that like that's yeah i, I think they do cordon off maybe they don't go that, that far but but like they do have these um night at the museum uh, events uh in the netherlands and i think in ottawa too now yeah which um yeah I think certain people shouldn't be drinking around um, very expensive pieces of art and uh, fossilized uh, remains, yeah. but for most uh, civilized folks, it's a great idea. I thought you were talking about the kids drinking in front of the hospital. I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. No, no. <laughs> you know, definitely not a good idea. You can, I think if you've got enough, uh, enough, enough cash, you could probably do what I've heard of people renting out Disneyland on like middle of the night and stuff like that for a couple hours, like for birthday parties and this and that. So like, Man, I'm sure it's the same with the museums in the Netherlands or there. If you have enough cash, you can do whatever you want, right? But uh, um, so, yeah, like, so the, the catacombs are really interesting. As I said before, though, as interesting as it is, it's actually a huge disadvantage architecturally in Paris because of these gaps in the ground. Uh, um, certain places of the city, you can't build large buildings because there's no foundation because it's pretty much like this and then like a big hole underneath it. <laughs> so if you look at the map uh, of, of parts of Paris, there's a lot of smaller buildings just because there's no foundation and cave-ins have happened. But, uh, but also, uh, I mean, sometimes there's too much interest from the public. Sometimes there's thefts, vandalism. Even during COVID, they had to shut part of the catacombs down. But next time you go, check it out. It looks really, really interesting and cool that there's a whole little world happening underneath this big world of yeah it's kind of uh, shameful i mean i've been to paris a bunch of times and rome uh but uh, i haven't made the visit to the underground world yeah have you have you uh have you done like caves or uh, um caverns or anything like underground usually people like have you seen anything interesting i've only done caves to be honest and like like not spelunking or anything i like that word spelunking by the way but uh, <laughs> but i've been um, yeah, it... under the ground but it's not really that great for me like i haven't seen anything like fascinating and cool i did uh in wales some mm -hmm. some caves yeah uh, but i get really claustrophobic um i really hate the idea where i can't stand up straight yeah yeah yeah. so you go into some of these things where you have to crouch all the way through yeah and it really gets super uncomfortable if you're not used to it um and yeah, it's it's not my cup of tea. I, I'm very much a uh, above ground type. You know, what's that? You're a, an above ground type of guy. I'm, a, I'm an above ground type kind of guy. Yeah. I, I did when I was in Turkey. I went to a place called Cappadocia. People might know it because they're famous for air balloons and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's great in, Instagram location. Yeah, yeah. That's why I went there to, to, to gram it. Uh, <laughs> it's all about uh, the gram. To gram. But uh, they have it's an entire cave. Uh, city and there's little towns and stuff like that and people lived in the caves and part of it go underground it's pretty cool to think that someone built that and uh, but I'm like you I get pretty claustrophobic not pretty but like 
I just don't find it entertaining, especially when it's long and like, and like, uh, like there's no end in sight. I remember my family and I, we went to Hawaii and we were driving and we stopped at this like cave, underground cave, and we were the only ones there. And the guy gave us like these headlights, you know, the, what do you call them? Like he gave it, and he's like, yeah, just keep going. You'll find an exit. And it's the five of oh, us. No. And, like, it's really like, uh, I don't know how minors and these guys do it. Cause like it gets to you after a while. Like it's pretty, it's pretty. It's hard. definitely a, a topic for another episode, but it is uh, these guys who do um, cave exploring and they go exploring like totally uh, unmapped underground locations. And it's insane because they don't know if they're going to be able to find their way out again. Yeah. I'm and, and they, yeah. not interested in that. Like, I mean, interested in listening to it, but I'm not interested in doing it. It's, uh, I think as you get older and uh, you have more to lose uh, and stuff like, and uh, you start becoming more kind of settled in who you are, taking risks becomes less of a priority. It's like the guys who try to hold their breath and see how long, how, like deep diving. Like I have no interest in doing anything that could risk my life. But imagine being stuck in a cave and not finding an exit either behind you or in front of you like and you don't know what's happening right it's not mapped out so it's like it's creepy man i think and just on that point just kind of in a similar scenario have you seen the guys who go underneath a big block of ice and then they try to make it to the other end and they don't know where the other end is yet on one breath or even with a thing that's scary dave like dark that's um stupid it's <laughs> it's very stupid what's the point of that unless you're like trying to catch some fish to feed your family i don't understand why you would do that i don't know um okay so here's my here's the one i think you'll like the most about underground stuff and this one is uh it's it's very history related so uh i love world war one world war two stuff more world war two because i find like it's <laughs> i think it's more interesting about world yeah, there's, there's no hollywood uh it's with world war one it's not a sexy war it's not a sexy war so um uh do you know about uh hitler's bunker where he killed himself where he i do you do okay okay so you got to correct you got to correct a couple of the things if i make any mistakes but uh the Führer bunker is that how you say Führer bunker uh sure <laughs> so um those of you who don't know Hitler was running uh, uh, his regime out of Berlin and right outside the city, uh, he had this air raid uh, shelter built over the preceding years before the war came to an end in 1945. And it was actually built in two phases. So you had, um, please pardon my German, sorry, German lessons. You had the Vorbunker, Vorbunker, which is meant forward bunker. And then beneath it, and behind it, you had the Führer bunker, which was his kind of HQ in case of an annihilation. Oh. Uh, an emergency. And so um, it, it, Hitler had a number of headquarters uh, placed in a number of places over his uh, his regime in case he had to switch. Mm. Uh, uh, but he spent not that much time in the Führer bunker. But in 1945, in January, uh, uh, he actually, when uh, the Germans were losing, it looked like he was going to lose the war. Uh, uh, he took up residence. He shifted from his other uh, HQ down to the Führer bunker <laughs> in, uh, on the 16th of January, 1945. And it became actually kind of his operation, uh, main center of operation until the last week of World War II, which was, you know when? Which which month the war ended? Anybody? May? So June? close. June. Uh, uh, oh, two, two back, two back, two before. What? Uh, like April, April 1945, I think. Did it? I think so, isn't it? That's when the, oh, well, that's when they surrendered. That's when, that's when Berlin fell. I don't know if the, when the war. What, when was, uh, I thought D-Day was in June. Yeah, that might, no, D-Day, was D -Day it? D-Day was June 1944. Ah, right, ah, so the, the, the official uh, ending, sorry. A year, no, 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 no. Right. 
no problem, no problem. So like, uh, so this place was the HQ for uh, for the for Hitler. So uh, he even married his wife for forty hours, Eva Brown, <laughs> yeah. in uh, in the same bunker. And then forty hours later, they both committed suicide, which I'll get into, which I also find very interesting. So what happened was um, they realized uh, that uh, the bombing of Berlin was happening. Uh, you know, they needed a place for Hitler to go in case of an, an uh, emergency. So they started kind of really reinforcing this place as an underground shelter for him, for his, his comrades, for people who would uh, kind of continue the operation for the Nazi party. Uh, like I said, uh, the Ford bunker was a little bit higher than the, the, the Fuhrer bunker, which was lower into the ground for more protection. Um, um, this is really interesting. I find even as horrible as people are, I find architecture when people make intelligent decisions, very fascinating. So <laughs> the way this bunker and this bunker were connected was by a, um, a set of stairwells. And th this is so fascinating. The way they built is where they kept putting right angles onto the stairwells. So in case of in a scenario, there would be doors that would keep shutting to really reinforce that Fuhrer bunker. So if the if soldiers were coming in, if there were more bombs or whatnot, there was a way to protect Hitler and his 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 team in the lower bunker. By the way, the stairs were built. It's fascinating, right? Wow. Yeah. Very good. I, uh, well, I don't know if it's good, but, <laughs> but yeah, reinforce. Very well thought out. Very well thought out. We're neutral people. We are anti-war, anti-Nazis, <laughs> but pro-intelligence. So Hitler's bunker was deeper and had more reinforcement. Uh, even the roof was made of about three uh, uh, um, three meter thick concrete, which is crazy. Three meters is like, it could really withstand stuff. So once they started building this bunker, they started bringing stuff from the chancellery, which was the headquarters of the Nazi party. They brought in high quality furniture, oil paintings, because Hitler was a snob. And so- like, He was an artist. He was an artist. He actually, he actually I was reading, uh, when he killed himself on a side note, he left a will. And in his will, he said that he wanted to donate all his artwork to like his local hometown or something like that. Well, that's very gracious. Um, so uh, when you got, uh, so people have done, uh, it, it, the bunker doesn't exist anymore, but based on when people did go and see it, because uh, it didn't get destroyed post-war immediately, um, people have uh, said that like, when you come down these stairs, there's this long corridor. One of the rooms was a generator and ventilation systems. The other was a telephone switchboard room. Uh, Eva Brown had her room. Uh, Hitler uh, had his own uh, office and bedroom, uh, um, excuse me. Uh, there was a picture of Frederick the Great, which was one of Hitler's heroes on the wall. Uh, 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 there was a, there was Hitler's bedroom as well. There was a conference and map room, which was uh, where kind of his his situation room. Uh, um, this was a very self-contained complex, uh, but there were some negatives built in the room too. So the Führer bunker was so deep below that there was actually water uh, on top of it, like on top of the three meters of concrete. So the conditions were pretty damp down there. It wasn't always mm. great. There was also pumps around. So you could hear, uh, you could hear kind of like the pumping. Uh, there was a diesel generator that provided electricity uh, as well and communication systems. So it wasn't really like the Marriott or like like the Intercontinental mm -hmm. down here. It was more of an operation space, uh, but uh, but he was down there and the conditions were deteriorating as the war went on. Because remember, this place wasn't used until the end of the war, right? So uh, so here's where the history comes in at the cool, interesting part. So Hitler goes there in January 1945. Uh, um, a couple months later, Martin Bormann, uh, do you know Bormann people? People Bormann was part of his uh, his his entourage. Uh, Eva Brown and Joseph Goebbels uh, joined in April. Uh, Goebbels was pretty much like the Nazi Goebbels, Goebbels, Goebbels. 
Uh, uh, did you know that, by the way, Goebbels, Goebbels he, he had like eight kids or something like that. I didn't know that. Or six kids. It was like a large number. Same lady? Uh, same lady. So. <laughs> wow. Poor uh, lady. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Poor kids. <laughs> Poor kids, yeah. And so, uh, uh, um, so Hitler goes there uh, um, uh, first. He brings about two to three dozen support staff with him, secretaries, bodyguards, telephone assistants. Uh, um, Hitler spends all his time downstairs in the bunker, except for the time each day. Shh, shh. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, he doesn't like Hitler. We don't like Hitler too. Come, 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 come. Sorry, 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 audience. I have to get a pacifier in the baby. Good boy. No, he spit it out. Okay, Hitler spends, sorry, Hitler spends all his time. And Hitler. <laughs> we got a multitask. All his time downstairs, except for, he has a little part of each day where he actually goes up to the garden and he walks around with his dog. Uh, I actually Googled Hitler's dog too, which was interesting. Uh, it was like a German shepherd, I think. Uh, <laughs> things I didn't know. Hey, hopefully not a British bulldog or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's ironic, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then in April 16th, the Battle of Berlin starts. And uh, so uh, uh, the British, like the, the the forces, the Allied forces are kind of coming in into Berlin. Uh, and so they take over the city. So Hitler knows. I, I don't know if you've known this in your reporting or not, but Hitler pretty much kind of knew near the end of uh, the war that he was going to lose, and uh, he, he had planned that if this was to happen, he was going to take his own life. So on the 29th of April, he marries Eva Brown downstairs. How romantic! Uh, uh, and then the next day. He kills himself by shooting himself in brown tick cyanide. Uh, in his will and testament, he wanted his bodies, uh, both bodies to be burned in the garden because he said, I'd rather uh, um, have my bodies burned than uh, given to capsulation. Uh, um, so uh, they burned his bodies. Uh, and then when the allied forces took, took over, very interesting, uh, Hitler dies, Hitler leaves, uh, 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 I think Bormann in charge. And this is, I forgot about this point. Do you remember mm. who took over the Nazis after Hitler? It's for like no, three hours only, for like a day or two. But, uh, Goebbels had some time. Yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these guys are. Pretty but he much, also killed himself. Yeah, he, he also, also took cyanide, himself. right? Yeah, he killed himself. He. Uh, uh, oh, so I read that uh, Goebbels or, or Bormann, uh, when they took over, uh, um, they also had decided we would rather kill ourselves and have our bodies burned or whatever rather than give in to the forces so they at that point the entire all of berlin had pretty much fallen to the to the allies so they were going up the stairs for, of the third bunker and uh, and when they got upstairs he had one of his soldiers shoot him and his wife uh, and not shoot him just once shoot him so much that their bodies would be dismantled and stuff uh, so uh, it was kind of gross and and so like these guys are really willing to give their lives over uh, uh, over to it uh, but uh, they were just afraid of being like horribly tortured by um, the Soviets and the and the Allies who were coming. I think. Well, okay. Here's. Have you seen that show? Um, the Man on the High uh, High Hill, High Street. It's this show that talks about what would happen if if uh, if Hitler and the uh, Axis forces had actually uh, won the war instead of the Allies. Man in the High Castle. Man in the High Castle. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do you think that if Hitler got, this is on a side note, it has nothing to do with our topic, but an interesting question. Do you think if Hitler had been captured by the allied forces, that he would have been, uh, he would have been shot and killed, he would have been tried, he would have been brought to the Hague? I mean, I know the Hague didn't exist at that point. Like, what do you think would have happened in that scenario? Uh, well, the way it was working out was that the Soviets were coming and they like rampaged through Berlin. He wouldn't have stood a chance. He would yeah. have been 
like the, I think the soldiers were blood hungry and uh, there may have been orders to like hold them down and, and they could stand trial. Yeah. But I don't think they could have stopped the Soviets from uh, the soldiers from doing whatever they wanted to him. Yeah. I, I think uh, what happened to, uh, I know a lot of the guys in the top of uh, the top, uh, uh, like in, in, uh, in the operating, in the, C, in the chief level, in the C section, uh, those, a lot of those guys took themselves, but the rank and file, a lot of them just, just gave in, right? Uh, a lot of yeah. Just, uh, just yeah. surrendered, didn't they? Yes, that's true. that's true. Okay, everyone, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta bring the little guy into, into the arms. I'll try to keep him. Welcome, welcome. Oh, you can see his hair. Uh, he's a war buff, a war nut. Not a war buff, a war history buff. <laughs> sorry. We'll edit uh, some of these elements. <laughs> Good boy. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> there we go. Um, uh, okay, so to go back to it, so what happens is war comes to an end, um, and uh, uh, the Soviets uh, um, uh, the Soviets took over Berlin, right? Between 1945 and 1949, they actually destroyed a number of the landmarks in uh, in uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, um, the bunker, though, is interesting. They tried to build a uh, blow it up in 1947, but because uh, it's so built, well built, and it was underground, they didn't actually <laughs> they didn't they didn't actually get to destroy it. Uh, only the separation walls were were damaged. Then in 1959, uh, if people remember. <laughs> If people remember their why their history, uh, uh, Berlin gets split right into East Berlin, West Berlin, and uh, unfortunately the uh, uh, the bunker is placed in East Germany, East Berlin, and uh, and uh, that's kind of the part of the city that gets neglected and nobody gives a shit. Mm. <laughs> and so this 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 bunker is still there. It's it's pretty much undeveloped, neglected. Okay, everyone. Okay, we're gonna bring Baby Noah into the shot. The back of him. There you go. So it's it's neglected and undeveloped. And uh, uh, um, uh, in 1988, 1989, so this place is still there. I think the, I think the German government tried to really shut it down, make sure people wouldn't go there as a tourist site, because as most places, they didn't want to really propagandize it or, or really kind of, you know, romanticize it. So um, in 1988, 1989, they're rebuilding that area. They're making it into like residential housing. <laughs> and so a number of crews find the underground sections of the bunker and most of them is destroyed, but they do find like certain passageways and rooms and stuff. And so uh, eventually the government uh, of the, the German government uh, uh, decides to kind of destroy the entire place. They don't want it around anymore. Uh, and so now uh, it's it's pretty much a residential complex and a car park, but here's the interesting thing. Shh, shh, shh. There was there was a sporting event uh, that happened a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, in that area they put up a plaque or like a, a board that kind of just said that this was the place of the bunker, and they had a little map of it, like just to kind of for more of a historical point of view. But uh, but uh, but the bunker no longer exists. They've built over it. So some guy is like living on top of Hitler's bunker on the 11th floor of his like walk-in condo or apartment right now. But uh, it's interesting. Like I thought that was really fascinating because it was such a huge part of history. And now have you seen the movie uh, Der Untergang? No, is it yeah. good? Downfall. Oh no, that's it's... one. It's very famous because 
There's a famous, it's entirely filmed in this bunker. Oh, okay. I got to watch it. I'm, I'm fascinated. You have to watch it. It's a very good movie. Okay. Um, but it's very famous because like there's a scene that has become like a meme where yeah. Hitler is confronted by his general saying, you got, you can't win. Yeah. And it's been used. It's kind of an old thing now because it's movies from 2004. Okay. But for a while, people were using it and changed the dialogue to like say, you know, the Ottawa senators are losing. There's no chance of coming back. Oh, uh, no, sir. There's no, and so they would just replace it for any kind of scenario where things aren't going well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's pretty crazy because like it shows the whole thing. It shows those guys like doing the uh, the final days uh, of of the regime. I, um, I I I love war movies. I've seen a number of them. I've seen one. I've seen. I, I'm going to put that on the list. I've seen ones where they were like, in theory, like when like, you know, assassination attempts on Hitler, trying to kind of bring his downfall before the end, and they weren't succeeding. I I I mean, from just a historical point of view, like this guy and his team were so determined with their ideology that he was willing to take his life for it, right? And for the longest time, it seemed like it was going to like progress and and and, and win. And for me, one of the things we were in a history class together, weren't we? You and I in university. Uh, we did Middle Eastern history together. I don't know about any other one. Didn't we do like World War II, you know, uh, Franz Ferdinand, blah, 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 blah. Like, did we do that together? Archduke, uh, uh, this, like, oh, uh, 20th century history? No? Some, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, maybe. 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 Um, for me, like, the thing about, uh, oh, let me just finish this topic off before I say that. Um, so I think one of the things the, the German government has done in the last 50, 60 years is they really tried to get rid of uh, Nazi sites, or, or uh, I know they've kept some as well as, as some of the other countries. Like, oh, there are a lot of concentration camps, which are which are historical tourist sites now. But I think in Germany, they've made a real effort to kind of get rid of stuff that really looks bad as part of their history. Have you uh, you've been to Germany? Have you ever been to any of these places or seen any of these places? I've been to Berlin. It's a great city. Yeah, great. Um, and yes, I have been to. Uh, what's it called? The, the the one of the concentration camps, Dachau. The Dachau is that outside the city? Uh, so Dachau is. I'm getting embarrassed. Yeah, it was Dachau concentration camp. It's the one outside of Munich. Okay. Uh, it's a, obviously it's a very traumatizing experience to go to any one of these things. I don't know if you've been to one of these locations. I've been to other. So they, they, yeah. They, um, of course, they don't they don't glamorize it in the slightest, and they don't even advertise it really. So when, when I went there, this is back in 2004, um, there was barely any kind of signposting, any like indication. It was like next to a Burger King off of like a car dealership. Um, like you don't want to have a thing to be like, here's a flyer for a concentration camp or a horrible thing. But like when you're there, it's like very well done and very well presented about like what happened. Is it more of but a, I, a I, historical I, site in the sense that like, this is where things happen like you're learning about it or is it like yeah it's very raw like they don't put any kind of like flashy lights or anything gimmicky things it's just yeah. this is the what it was but what i think i would hate to go to now is that everyone's got their smartphones yeah. I, 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 I'm, I sound pretty old saying that i think it's just a phone now yeah yeah um and they're like taking selfies <laughs> so everyone's taking selfies at these horrible places yeah. and like posting on instagram which i think i would get really angry yeah and, like get into an argument with someone there yeah. Uh, but thankfully, when I went there, it was very somber and no one was doing stupid stuff because they yeah. didn't have the means to really. But yeah, in, in Berlin, um, I went to the uh, memorial. They had the, 
And what's quite uh, uh, jarring about it is that they have this big um, memorial for the murdered Jews uh, uh, of, of Europe, I think it's called. And it's right next to the Bundestag. What's the so, Bundestag? It's, 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 so it's literally right next to the German parliament building. Oh, okay. That yeah. was all right, I'm assuming. I guess so, but it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's right in your face. Um, and again, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand what they're um, standing next to, and they take stupid pictures next to it. Uh, but I think uh, Germany does a very good job of um, confronting their history. Yes, uh, yes. I mean, yeah, as you should. I think. Uh, I think I. Yeah, I mean, the Germany of today is not the Germany of seventy years ago, right? So, like, I mean. The world has changed. The world is changing. But I get—I I don't know about you, but I, I feel like um, in Canada and in, in the West, like in, in non-German <laughs> education systems, yeah. what you're taught to, to know about Germany is Germany, World War Two, World War One, yeah. Nazi stuff. Yeah, it's very hard to like change what's going on in your head based on what you were taught as a child. Yeah, is like all you know is that they started a bunch of wars and. And when you go there, like when I went there for the first time as like this kind of entire naive tourist, I just thought I'm entering like the enemy territory. And it yeah, was very foolish. Very true. It's, I think that's really, I think, uh, I mean, if you like history, like I think history is taught poorly anywhere you go in the world, by the way. I don't think like people do a really great job of it, and especially here in an academic setting. I think like how many, like I learned about like our version of how World War One started every single year for university, uh, a high school. And I learned the same stupid way they taught it, like Archduke Ferdinand got shot and blah, blah, blah. But it's like much more complex and interesting than that. But I mean, there's a point in teaching history too, right? So we don't repeat it, but we can get a better knowledge of ourselves. And like this stuff is really fascinating, but I just think the way it's taught is is, is not the greatest as it could be. Uh, but I would, like, like I said, if I went back to college and university, I would take so many more history classes. I just found it fascinating. The readings, the, the stories. Yeah. The, I, I kind of feel like I missed a huge chunk um, and they they should basically start from the beginning, you know? Yeah. It, it, sounds, it sounds very stupid, but I'm like, why don't they start from, you know, as early as they can, at least like Roman history or Egyptian or something, Greek civilization, yeah. give us some foundations on that and then start moving forward. But yeah. I felt like they, they sort of started us on, you know, like Canada was created and then there was a couple of wars, then you're here now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah. When you go to the UK and you talk about people in their uh, education and history, yeah, they, they learned about the Romans, about like War of the Roses, all these crazy wars. And obviously, that's more pertinent in Europe and in the UK. Yeah. But it's still important to understand like the thread of how it all flows. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Maybe that'll be like I think uh, I, I, American history also seems to be more kind of romanticized and popular around the world, and like. You have things like Hamilton, which has made it more kind of uh, modern. And then you have like, you know, the, the presidents and there's like a whole aspect to it. But I think any country's history is important and relevant to its people. But like for if we're going as Canadians, if we're going to be learning about history of other countries anyway, we should have like a thread, as you say, and we should make it more relatable. And I think like we need better teachers and you know, offense to our history. And like who are interested because our curriculum, I get it. Like it's it's like teach the kids the same thing. I learned about Canadian history every single year of my life in high school uh, and in junior school. And it was like a repeat. I don't know if you felt like you had that or not, yeah. but I felt like I learned. I mean, they, they could teach it in a semester and then move on to some other stuff. But it's it was fascinating. Um, okay, so my question to you was that 
what do you think Germany was, this has nothing to do with our topic, but it's about war. What do you think Germany was like between 1918 and 1939? Like between the Really? Like, how, like, do you think well, it was sort of like- Well, they had the- I mean, like, not, not only like, not only in a, in, a, in a socioeconomic system and a political system, but like, how do you think it rose? Like in that, what is that, 20 years, 15 years, 16 years, whatever, like that, it, like, they're like, you know what we should do? I know they didn't say, we should do this again. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like, what do you think it was like? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, had, um, they had hyperinflation. They were like Zimbabwe. Uh, they were the first Zimbabwe. Yeah. So they, they had the Weimar Republic after, um, I can go into all sorts of detail, but like they basically were brutally punished for starting World War One by the Allies, Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. And I mean, the way I see it is World War Two, World War One never finished. Yeah. It, just, it was just a continuation because it was so oppressively uh, burdensome uh, on the like reparations that they were made to pay. Yeah. But it made someone like Hitler so angry and wanted revenge for what happened. Right. And he, he managed to like galvanize, persuade a bunch of people and eventually uh, pushed the entire country into it. Was world, was Hitler alive and as a child during World War I? Yeah, he was a, he was a, an adult. He was- He was um, an adult, okay. Yeah, I mean, he was imprisoned uh, for trying to do, you know, these putsch, the, the beer hall putsch and trying to, he was already very active as a- Oh, okay. This is, but this was post uh, First World War because he was very, um, angry about what happened yeah that's and uh, then he wrote he wrote he wrote Mein Kampf when he was in jail okay and his like that's his big like philosophy and doctrine for what was found founding the Nazi party and all that so yeah yeah he uh there was a lot of angry people in Germany at that time and eventually uh it, it led to the rise of, of uh his party yeah and then oh, and then uh, he doesn't like Hitler. Noah's an anti-Hitler, as he should be. Um, yeah, that's fascinating stuff. I think uh, it's. Uh, I'm going to watch that movie you told me about about in the, the bunker. But uh, that whole ideology, how it came about, how it fell, how it's it's you know how Germany has tried to kind of fix its reputation and its image since since then. Uh, and uh, by the way, people, not only Germany, right? I mean, there were a number of Axis powers as well. Japan really got a, a hit as well for the things that they did and. And etc. But it's more complicated than I think it seems. I'm, obviously, I'm not justifying it in any way. But uh, we focus on kind of the, the broad strokes. But it's a very fascinating yet complicated history that I would highly encourage people to to look into. Yes, and everyone should build their own bunkers and take matters into their own hands. And yeah, protect themselves. I, I was I was going to look at some of the bunkers of like uh, like some rich people like. But I thought that would we kind of did that in, in previous episodes of like rich people and their excesses. But I thought it was interesting to think about like these public bunkers. Yeah, um, I don't think in the Netherlands it's too uh, feasible because there's the water table. Um, oh, yeah. This it's a very unnatural country, yeah. so you can't really dig too far down, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, although there's subway systems, which is quite impressive. I yeah. mean, uh, you're definitely not not going too deep underground here. Like in London, London's yeah. really impressive because. You can go like the Jubilee line. I don't know if you've ever taken that. Sure. It's just like you take three or four different escalators down and you're so deep underground. I actually started, um, I was going to add the London tube or the New York subway system into the to the mix, but I, I took it out. But in my research, those are fascinating. Even New York too, you can go really deep down. And uh, and there are, because these both these systems, especially the London one is so old that there are stations that don't exist, that are no longer active, but they still exist. And so uh 
they're like abandoned stations and the railway. Yeah, line. we could do a whole episode on the London's under, underground system because there's yeah. like all this World War II creation. There was navigation for communications for postal uh, messages to go between yeah, different yeah. ministries. And like you said, there are these abandoned uh, tube stations, which a James Bond um, went to at one point in one yeah. of the more recent uh, films. I, I don't remember which one. Yeah, yeah, I, remember. I think so. It was it was that yeah. terrorist, right? He kind of ran through the something, and a train fell off, or something crazy happened. But yeah, yeah, you're right. I actually like from uh, on a small little tangent. I watched this doc. Uh, I think it must have been. I don't know which if it's National Geographic or not. But they talked about how they build subway systems now on existing subway systems. So like you know when they want to improve it or build a line, and they were building a new line in New York or something. And so they talked about how they built a line underneath the current line. So it went even deeper and it's fascinating. It's like, it just like, if you like that kind of stuff, it's so cool that they can build an entire like underground system on an existing system on top of like massive skyscrapers, you know, just like in London or any metropolitan city and it's operational. And then you don't, you have no idea it's happening under your feet, you know? Like it's just- Yeah, I think we need to get a civil engineer or something on this to explain it to us political scientists because I uh, don't understand how in a place like London and New York City, these mega cities, yeah, where you can dig and pretty much the whole underground is like it's been dug as much as you can. Yeah. And then on top of it, there's a city with huge amounts of weights going on top of it. Why doesn't everything just cave in? <laughs> well, I think that, well, even like taking that, like we have to ask the, in Paris, I guess that the problem was that with the catacombs was that in certain places, there was not enough foundation for it. But Paris also has a subway system, does it not? Paris does, but Paris, uh, their subway system is quite shallow. Oh. It's, not a, it's not a very deep underground system. Whereas okay. so like London has, has many different stages, like the, the very old, I think it's ba Bakerloo uh, line. It's, it's very, uh, uh, not, yeah, it's very shallow. Oh. So you can still get you still get the cell phone reception and all that, whereas the Jubilee line is like okay. uber deep. Um, maybe it's the topography of the cities that it just. Uh, uh, and it's the type of things like maybe it's the earth. London's got a lot of uh, it's clay. I don't know. I'm gonna get it all wrong, but uh, it, it really depends on the on the geography and and uh, what's on what is underground, how solid it is. Anyways, I. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, thanks, uh, Noah, for that very nice uh, story. He did all the work, all the research. I'm sorry, everyone. Baby's waking up now. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's it's it's an interesting thing. Let us know if you have any interesting thoughts on any bunkers or underground systems that you might know of. But uh, but yeah, one day we'll go. We'll visit the catacombs. We'll 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 stand at the at the car park where Hitler's bunker was and just be like, this is history. Or this Volkswagen is parked right here. So uh, yeah. It's, it's life, it's history. I don't know if we can ever that's go to the American the military complex. That's probably out of the question, but yeah. The, yeah, the Wi-Fi signal probably isn't very good there either. <laughs> there you go. Anyways, Dave, have a safe trip. Thank I hope you, Tosh. Well, and uh, see you later. Ciao.